Hello and welcome to a special episode of the Fabulous Pelton Cast. I'm your co-host, Kevin Pelton. And I'm Tristan Carcino. And we are coming to you after the Seahawks ascended atop the NFC West all by themselves seven weeks into the NFL season with a dominant 37-23 victory over the Los Angeles Chargers at SoFi Stadium. The Seahawks, are the Seahawks good? I've got some bad news for you, Kevin Pelton. ESPN's Kevin Pelton. (laughs) The Seahawks are great! Wow, great. They are not just good. We went into L.A., and beat the shit out of the L.A. Chargers. Overcame that that fierce home crowd that the Chargers are known for. It's not about the home crowd. It's about the Chargers. This was a team that was 4-2 beforehand. And the Seahawks overcame some pretty cheap turnovers during this game. Another safety, which we get a lot of those. And still managed to... And the loss of DK Metcalf. You didn't the loss of that. DK Metcalf still managed to absolutely dominate, especially the first quarter and second half of this football game. They saw the darkness and they said, I defy you, darkness. <laughs> there was a moment where it's like this game, we, we've watched a thousand football games, right? And I know you were thinking the same thing as me in that second quarter. The Chargers score the second touchdown. DK is out. The Seahawks have collapsed. And you're like, this shit is over. Like it's we had too quick. Run. Exactly. You're looking at the clock and you're like, it's 17 nothing. It's the first quarter. We are fucked in this game. But then all of a sudden, we know how football works, right? There's a little fan brain involved there. A little what? Fan brain. But you know, you know deep down, and it started to happen. It, it's did. Like it was it was dead. It was dead in that game. But then guess what? The Seahawks are, they are not good. The Seahawks are. Great! Put together those drives. Got that ball. I understand J.C. Jackson was injured on the touchdown to Marquise Goodwin. But also, Marquise Goodwin, hello! Welcome to Seattle, baby. He was catching that ball either way. Like, that was a touchdown no matter what, injury or not. Best veteran retread signing in Pete Carroll era history. And there's been a long list of them. I listed a few of them on Twitter. I didn't go into... Jeez, I can't even think of some of the guys who didn't even last out of training camp. But there, there's Owens. been a bunch of yeah, that would be <laughs> that would be one example. Josh Gordon, did you have Josh Gordon? On I the list? I didn't mention Josh Gordon. Josh Gordon did ha- play a key role in that Monday night win in San Francisco. I was going to say there was like a third down conversion that Josh Gordon had, and he was responsible <laughs> for that. Was the emergency pod where you were in LA? Yelling about Jimmy G retire bitch, right? I, was that Jimmy G retire bitch or Kyle Shanahan retire bitch? Because I have the I, same I, thought today about I don't, both. I don't, I don't think you were discriminating on those two. I am telling you right now, right now, I'm so sorry for you, ESPN's Kevin Pelton. But do you know who else is great? Pete Carroll's great. Oh, Pete boy. Carroll is having a near perfect season. Given the situation, given the circumstances, especially around the NFL, Pete Carroll has taken all available evidence about what you should be doing as a head coach, putting together an organization and a football team, and he has changed. We should be giving Pete Carroll so much fucking credit right now. If you're still on the side of 
Pete Carroll, Pete Carroll did things wrong last year, two years ago, three years ago, the decade before then. Various different times, everything he's ever said up to this very point. I mean, obviously, he did a lot of they did a, the organization did many, many right things leading up but, to the back to back Super Bowl appearances. If you're one of those, those people within the past who are decade, still holding it against Pete Carroll, the things that he did in the past, you need to open up your fucking eyes and see what's out there on the football field because that is not the Pete Carroll team of last year. That is not the Pete Carroll team of two years ago. They are approaching things differently, especially on offense. Right now, you can't tell me otherwise. I think that the Seahawks have the best offense in the NFC West, not player-wise, construction-wise. They have a better offense, a better-built offense, than Sean McVay, Kyle Shanahan, and Cliff Kingsbury. And Pete Carroll's older than all three of those coaches combined. <laughs> I'm telling you. I mean, I think that's... Pete Carroll's so much fucking credit for changing for being 78 years old or whatever and changing his view on football, that is a unique thing to do. I think that they have the best running offense in the NFC West without question. I don't think that's that's even a controversial statement at this the point. The best running offense? What do you mean by that? Like the, the offense that runs the best, not specifically running plays. But they have the best the, structured offense in the NFC West. Sure, these, you like that word. All but. these teams. Look, think about what everybody else in the NFC West is doing. They are desperate, desperate to keep up with Pete motherfucking Carroll. Like always, like always, like they have always been since the second he was the head coach of the Seahawks. They are desperate. There's probably never been a division that has traded more first-round picks, including the Seahawks, in the last <laughs> no, 15 years. definitely has not been, no. I mean, teams didn't trade first-round picks like this before. It's... Except for the Vikings in the Herschel Walker trade. So they by themselves would do the only comparison. Yikes. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Maybe you could have changed the course of history if you could somehow go through and undo that trade. Oh, well, anyway. a, a lot of history would be different. That's a that's a great revisionist history podcast. But I, I will say, I don't know. That, I think Pete Carroll... I think he has been more open to throwing the ball in early downs than he was at times, but also like we've seen the Seahawks do this for periods of time. The Seahawks did let Russ, Russ cook the first five or six weeks of the 2020 season or whatever it was. Then they ran into some tough times and Pete Carroll wasn't philosophically able to stick with that commitment through the tough times. And we haven't gotten to those tough times. It's easy to let Gino throw on early down no, when Ken Walker no. the third is just running for 74 yard touchdowns you when he does get the ball. Like the right now, right now this happened, offense is and what did everyone Pete say? He said, we need to push the ball downfield more than we're doing. That's fair. We haven't stumbled on these tough times. Get the fuck out of here. They played one bad game, and Pete Carroll said, I see what we need to do differently. The NFL is changing right now. Teams Pete, Carroll was, worse. Pete Carroll was taking the governors off. And who put those governors on? Pete Carroll. You're giving it him a lot matter. of credit for taking those off. Be, yeah, you should be giving him credit. The other options are Pete the Carroll, offenses like, of Kyle Shanahan and Sean McVay and Cliff Kingsbury. Or Nate Hackett. Like, I mean, Can you tell me right now, can you tell me right now, in this very second, in the league, is there a coach who you would take over Pete Carroll? I mean, yes, I would undoubtedly take Andy Reid over Pete Carroll. Well, okay. But, like, the, the young generation of coaches have looked, for the most part, 
kind of bad over time, right? Like, especially once they've gotten to that that second piece of it, right? Matt LaFleur loses Devontae Adams. All of a sudden, Matt LaFleur is not a genius anymore or whatever. Sean, Sean McVay loses Andrew Whitworth. All of a sudden, Sean McVay is not a genius anymore. Kyle Shanahan plays the Chiefs. All of a sudden, Kyle Shanahan is not a genius anymore. <laughs> I mean, I think there were some moments before that where Kyle Shanahan didn't look like a genius earlier this season. Nate yes, I think is people... not playing with Devontae Adams and Aaron Rodgers, and he's maybe the worst coach in the NFL. Brandon Staley, that offense looks bad. He got I shut mean... down by the Seahawks. Do you understand how bad Brandon Staley's offense is? His offense and his defense. He was a defensive coach for the Rams, right? Yes, that's his background. That motherfucker defense, got not an offense. up by Geno Smith today. Ken Walker ran for the longest play of the season for the Seahawks against Brandon Staley's defense. And his offense on the other side is ugly. They looked compatible to the Broncos last week. Yeah. God, it feels good. <laughs> I would I would like to see the Seahawks defense against a team with a somewhat healthy receiving core. Maybe a healthy kicker what, at some point. How many, like, what stipulations do we have to get to? They have to be playing against the Bills? It's just like, that's the I mean, only time? The Chargers offense looked better than it did against Denver. Now, granted, Denver is one of the league's best defenses, so that's not that would be a good thing for the Seahawks. But I, I think the Seahawks are also benefiting defensively right now. They looked probably worse than they did because they were so atrocious on third down the first five weeks of the season, where they ranked 32nd and were so bad on third and fourth down. That's third and fourth down combined. They were so bad on those two downs combined that although they're obviously by definition way fewer of them than there are first and second down plays. The Seahawks were 23rd in EPA per play on first and second down defensively, 32nd on third and fourth down. And somehow that netted out to being 31st. And I think the answer is largely Taysom Hill. They've improved on first and second down the last two weeks. They're ninth on first and second down. But the bigger improvement has been going from 32nd on third and fourth down to third. There's another key fourth down stop today. The Chargers went, what, I believe four of 15 on third downs. Maybe that was the uh, Cardinals and uh, they were five of 15 on third down. So those, I think, are making things look a little better than they are defensively. But at the very least, the defense is competent. And as long as the defense is competent, that's good enough to win with this offense. I mean, that, you're talking about ninth on first and second down. It's not just luck. No. Uh, against two hypothetically good offenses, right? It's, you, it's, let's lean hard on the hypothetically here. As we noted can... in the preview podcast, the Chargers offense has been pretty broken for since Justin Herbert got hurt. And who knows about the Cardinals? But you understand maybe the worst. But you understand these aren't like, they weren't playing against Josh McCown or something, right? This wasn't Brett Rippian who was quarterbacking against them on the other side. This was two of the Pro Bowl quarterbacks who they were playing in offenses where the coaches, one of the coaches just got a fucking extension this offseason. Like, I mean, yes, but those teams have played against other uh, defenses as well. So we have the results to use against those teams as comparison. And the Chargers were 4-2 heading into this game. And the Seahawks went into their fucking house and beat the shit out of them. Like, and they beat the shit out of them without smoke and mirrors. We just did it. Straight up won the game. I mean, they were ninth in DVOA coming into this game, which was a little difficult to square with the fact that they had such a substantially negative point differential. They now have a substantially less negative point differential, but still slightly negative. 
but you have to assume they're going to move up in DVOA and suddenly you're pushing like the top five in DVOA. And that's pretty wild, especially in a division where everyone else is struggling as much as they are. I really think this season, if you would have told us that seven weeks through the season, all the things that have happened, right? The Seahawks have an above 500 record. They're leading the NFC West. Geno Smith looks like one of the best quarterbacks in the league. And it's been consistent through seven weeks. Tom Tom Brady would have just lost to the fucking Panthers and is a complete and total mess. Aaron Rodgers just lost to the Commanders. Looks like he cannot play football without Devontae Adams. The Broncos are 2-5 and in the draft pick that we have from the Broncos. First and second round. That's the other thing, too. It's not just the first round pick. It's the second round pick also that's I mean, it's higher. Gonna, it's going to be potentially three of the top, like, 40 picks. It's a realistic possibility. That is now the sixth pick in the draft. And things don't look better for the Broncos from here on out. The hard part of their schedule is still the end of the schedule that they have not gotten to. They'll have no incentive to tank because they've traded those draft picks, but I just really can't conceive a scenario where the Broncos are even really pushing the playoffs at that point, and they're going to care that much. Like, there's still a possibility that they trade players midseason because it looks that bad. I would not completely rule out Nathaniel Hackett being fired before the season's over. I don't know. They do have a relatively easy part of their schedule. Uh, December 18th, home for Arizona. December 25th, at the Rams. (laughs) There we go. (laughs) This is a real tough beat for our Rams podcast. And and on top of all of that, the NFC West looks a mess outside of the Seattle Seahawks, right? The 49ers are making desperate trades. The Rams can't even make the desperate trade for a running back when they gave up 44 points today for a running back. He catches a lot of passes. You, You saw what the Carolina running backs did today, right? What did they do? Deontay Foreman had 15 carries for 118 yards, oh including God, a 60 yard. Chuba Hubbard had nine carries for 63 yards. Oh, it's so good. <laughs> it's so good. Somehow the only running backs that matter play for your Seattle Seahawks. And, but the other thing is the Rams couldn't even make a commensurate trade for that running back. They wanted desperately to trade more draft picks, but they didn't have the draft capital because they had to trade for Sony Michelle. I mean, I don't know that I buy that. It, that's actually why they couldn't make the trade because there are picks in future years that they could have included. I think it's probably that they reached a point where they felt McCaffrey wasn't worth giving up that much. But yes. Like, I, it wasn't two firsts and two seconds, but it was also for a running back right now. And I think we understand some things about, like, he's a running back who catches passes, which still is not a good thing. It It is really just... Kyle Shanahan is going out of his way to make his offense worse with this trade. And the the Rams are now without Andrew Withers retired. Joe Noteboom's out for the year. And we know that the Rams offense cannot run without an effective left tackle. I just, and the Cardinals are the Cardinals. Like, it, it's pretty incredible what has shaped up this season. And on top of that, the Seahawks look like they have a rookie class that is going to be the core of the next great Seahawks team because the next great Seahawks team <laughs> is playing in 2022. <laughs> they already are the core of the next great Seahawks team. Wow. <laughs> what did you think of that one? While I was talking. Oh, good. Good. You came to that one. 
Yeah, I I mean, look, if they keep playing like this, they they definitely have a chance to like suddenly this matchup. I guess the Giants probably aren't going to win the NFC East because the Eagles play there. But I was going to say this this matchup against the Giants suddenly has NFC seeding implications. It's pretty wild. Yeah, that that's like going to be. A- it's a, a shockingly strange barometer for what the Seahawks are playing against the Giants on October 30th was not one that we expected. The one thing I was wondering earlier is what, what was the date we settled on for the bet about when Geno Smith would, uh, Drew Luck would start I think for it was Geno September. Smith? <laughs> yeah, we passed that one a long time ago. But you know what? Me, much like Pete Carroll, am glad to admit when I'm wrong. I'm glad to take all available evidence to have things play out and then admit that I was wrong and change my perspective on things in the exact same way that I have changed my perspective on, as of right now, one Peter Clay Carroll and Geno Smith. I mean, I think Geno Smith, the the change is stronger because the prior wasn't as strong. We like the prior was based on the fact that Geno Smith did win the Super Bowl and go back to the Super Bowl the next year. Yes, but the Pete Carroll frustrate like one of the things that hasn't happened this year, these challenges that Pete Carroll has lost and today's I thought was a reasonable attempt. I thought it was about a 60 40 chance of it being overturned when it uh, when he threw the flag. And I, the question to me was just kind of whether the the upside of, you know, wipe out a seven yard gain on second and nine or whatever it was, second and 10 was worth it. Uh, at some point, one of those challenges, you're going to need that timeout. At some point, there's going to be a fourth down call. Like, Pete Carroll has somehow stayed out of the great fourth down wars of 2022. I, I think he's I don't know how it's made possible. the right fourth down decisions generally this year. He hasn't had any glaringly terrible fourth down decisions. I agree, but I think that's because of the fact that the Seahawks, for whatever reason, haven't been put in that position. And eventually, that's going to come. And then you're going to be frustrated. As we've I, said previously in this podcast, no, people are bad no at predicting how they're going to feel when things there, happen. Sure. Yes. Fine. Maybe I will be frustrated, but the reality is there's not a perfect coach. And if Pete Carroll, we discuss this often, Pete Carroll's very good at all of the things that we're not coaching beforehand. But if he's all of a sudden a pretty good coach on the field, that's fine. Making emotional challenges is like the best worst quality, right? Like, I'm sorry, but it is. It's not yes, that I... bad of a worse quality. You could have Nathaniel Hackett as your coach. This is fair. You could have, was this, this was today, that the, I almost feel like this was last week, uh, that Todd Bowles and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers were down two scores in the fourth quarter and kicked a field goal in the red zone, right? On fourth At, and goal from the eight, yes. Fourth and goal from the eight, and they kicked a field goal to lose 21-3 to three instead of 21-0. to zero. Also, as someone who's starting two Buccaneers offensive players in both leagues, uh, A, I was not thrilled with that decision, and B, I'm not as excited as you implied earlier in this podcast about the the Buccaneers and Brady not being good this season. The other piece of it is taking some of that available evidence and understanding that maybe some of the issues with the Seattle offense the last couple of years were in part because of Russell Wilson. Right, sure. we've now seen Russell Wilson on another team, and look, I again, I don't think that the Russell Wilson who's playing for the Broncos is the same as the Russell Wilson that was playing for the Seahawks, 
if he is, then Pete Carroll's a fucking mad scientist, right? If 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 that Russell Wilson is what he would have been everywhere else and not with the Seahawks, you have to compliment Pete Carroll even more. I mean, I will say, so way back in the spring, you noted this. It never came up on the podcast. I put some Jay-Z lyrics in the notes. Uh, I got to look up the exact quote again because I took them out of the lyrics. But People it was they made hove. Yeah. Make a new hove. Make a new hove. Seahawks made a new hove. Like, I, I don't know what to tell you here. Were you enjoying as much? Mina tweeted about this. Mark Sanchez, who played with a rookie Geno Smith, <laughs> tried to wrap his mind around Geno Smith's performance this season. It was Mark Sanchez was considering a comeback. <laughs> <laughs> oh boy! Yeah, I mean, look, it's it's incredible if, if to see. Carroll, if Pete Carroll does it, I mean that line that you're talking about in particular. If Pete Carroll, again, we've only seen Russell Wilson. He obviously was a very good quarterback in college, but like we've only seen six games with Russell Wilson under a different head coach that was not Pete Carroll. And where is he at? DVOA, DR, QBR? Bad. In <laughs> That's where he's 20s, at. 25th, right? Like there's all sorts of reasons. Again, Russell Wilson is probably not the same player that he was beforehand, but. But well, we by definition, say, he's not the same player he was beforehand, at the very least because of his speed. There is, but Gino can really kind of run sometimes. Gino, like, Gino was my moving. favorite Gino play is when Gino, I feel like Russ was never really that good at this, is when Gino looks like he's going to scramble and then tosses it like near the line of scrimmage to the open receiver. And I'm like, damn, Gino. God, I love those plays. Wow, damn, Gino. We haven't, nobody's done that yet. That's maybe I don't a think thing they have now. Uh, but when he when he does that, I'm like, oh my god, it's a beautiful thing. When Gino scrambles, and just some of the balls, like the arc that he has on those balls, the first touchdown to Goodwin, it is really an incredible thing. Yeah, I mean, like he's playing it, at an extremely high level, and quarterback really play has... is most important. And I guess the one thing, the other thing I was thinking during this game is like, look, if you were going to struggle somewhere the first five weeks of the season, you want it to be on defense because we know that defense is highly variable and can turn around quickly or can catch fire over a short period of time. It was like, you know, famously football outsiders always wrote about the, the Colts having good offenses year after year. And then the one year Bob Sanders was healthy and their defense was good enough and they won the Super Bowl. Like that's the way to do it. So you're saying the Seahawks are going to win the Super Bowl. I did not say that. I said the Seahawks <laughs> but the, the other have the right is, version of the formula. I, 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 I don't know why this was the year. I don't get it. I don't understand why they just figured it out in the draft this year again. What what alchemy happened, but it it does seem like Tariq Woolen, Mike Jackson, Kobe Bryant, these players, they're not they perfect. Didn't, they didn't draft Mike Jackson this year. Was that last year they drafted Mike Jackson? I don't know if they drafted him at all. I believe he came as a came as a street free agent or something, okay. maybe off waivers. Well, the even better. Like you could see some elements building with the secondary. Yeah. I mean, I think people really love this narrative that Seahawks always putting it together midseason, but it is a thing that has happened on a regular repeated basis. Yes, uh Mike Jackson was drafted in the fifth round in 2019 by the Dallas Cowboys wow. and came to the Seahawks after the Patriots waived him. This the... offseason? 
no, before the 2020. Yeah, yes, this. Uh, no, before the 2021 season, and then he just basically didn't play at all last year. Yeah. All right, even better. On the practice squad. Even better. Uh, but you didn't even mention Cross and Lucas just continuing to hold up in in pass protection, and then obviously Ken Walker the third. Like people talk about home run hitters as a running back, this guy is Aaron on Aaron Judge face. It's also kind of incredible that like you know Boye Mafe hasn't done that much, but that you can pinpoint the specific players who haven't contributed from the draft class. Yeah. Especially when, like, the year before there wasn't a draft class. Uh, okay, so Ken Walker Jr., you mentioned him. The third. Not Jr. Oh, sorry, Ken Walker the third. You you mentioned him. I did. Uh, can we talk about the tweet that there was earlier? Can you give a summary of that? The Ben Baldwin tweet about positional value. Studies on positional value in the draft are based on thousands of players and years of draft. If you think outcome of one singular player changes positional value in draft, you haven't taken the time to understand the evidence, which is fine, but don't shoot the messengers. I don't think that that conversation was actually happening. Was that happening? I didn't see it. I, maybe I'm on the wrong part of Seahawks Twitter. But... I think somebody somebody tweeted about it or whatever, which is so true. It is so true, right? That perspective. But it also doesn't not make it awesome watching Kenneth Walker the third play running back, right? And that's the thing. It's like this might be true for all of these times, right? But there's always going to be somebody who's out there. It's still individual football players. Maybe it wasn't the right player. But the thing that we talked about with Ken Walker and with rookie running backs is you need to get value from them early and early in their career. And guess what? This is week seven in his motherfucking rookie season, and he's already a starting running back. So the reality is we get to watch Ken Walker on a weekly basis and somebody else doesn't. And that's a thing that we can be happy about. The piece about positional value may be true. Who knows? Ken Walker may not be a valuable player in three years or whatever, but in this moment, being able to watch Ken Walker is an incredible thing. And to see him run the ball and get that touchdown, like what Ken Walker touchdowns, what Ken Walker is doing right now on the field, he looks like, the other running back who matters. I mean, there are 43 running backs this season who have carried the ball at least 50 times. 13 of them have positive EPA per play, according to NFL Fast R. Rashad Penny remains number one in EPA per play, and sadly will we'll probably not be passed uh, the rest of the season since obviously his figure isn't changing. And Ken Walker the third is also one of those 13. So the Seahawks have found two running backs that that do seem to some degree to distinguish themselves from other running backs. It's a beautiful thing. It is a beautiful thing to see happening here. And we're at this point now where it's just like, we need to protect Ken Walker at all costs. <laughs> like, it's kind of wild but, to think about where we're but at. Maybe not by putting D. Eskridge in the in the backfield. Yeah, maybe not. Maybe not those costs. But even DJ Dallas looked pretty good on a carrier too there. He did? Yeah, I, I several just, carries. Look, part of that, the reason that there's two running backs from the same team is because of the offense that they're running and how well that offense is running. But Both that's of a them, good thing. If you yes. have players who can capitalize on that and have a good off, having a good running offense is not a bad thing, right? And I mean, it's weird because the Seahawks EP, EPA in rushing is still not very good. Now that's, 
like the Eskridge fumble is going to be counted against that is 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 an example. But was it there the play where like the Michael Dixon? Oh yeah, that probably is counted as a rush, isn't it? Yeah, that makes. Where sense. that was counted as a rush? I think there's a little bit of nonsense in there. I think their EPA is that EPA updated through today's game. It is, but okay. it it just didn't make sense because Pop Condota mentioned their rushing running their yards per carry would be the greatest of all time in franchise history. I like that. <laughs> yeah. I feel like that's good, but it's also the greatest of all time in franchise history. And it's not like pounding the rock or something like they're going way out of their way to be like, we are going to run the ball. It's all part of a flow of an offense, right? Yeah. There's an offense that's happening. Not because they're running it too much. That's happening because they're throwing the ball in first down and they're running play action and they're having motion like all the shit. Wow. This entire season. I'm not going to say the entire season. Well, maybe we'll take out that Colts game or the Niners game. But every other game of the season has been like watching week one against the Colts last year. Wow. We finally got what we wanted. We always lamented. We said week one. But now that is the Seattle Seahawks and Geno Smith is running that shit. And on the opposite side of a first round pick, Brett Ripien is running a different offense. So I'm just feeling great about everything right now. Well, that seems like a good note to wrap up on. We'll be back with our regular weekly pod on Wednesday where we'll talk about uh, the Oil Reigns loss in the semifinals, which sadly was not not beautiful like the Seahawks offense. Uh, we'll talk about the Huskies getting their first road win in the season at Cal. We'll preview the Seahawks' pivotal matchup, showdown against the 6-1 the and one New York Giants and talk about the rest of the roundup. Stay tuned for that one, and thanks for listening. Thanks.